Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John. Yes. What was your earliest childhood memory? Oh, I mean, if I offer it up, then it won't belong to me anymore. It will belong to all of the people who are listening right now. And also, I know you're just trying to get to some kind of punchline. Well, in any case, mine was getting my first pair of glasses. Do you remember doing that, John? I do. Because uh, it's just like everything before that's a blur. <laughs> do you remember that the place where we got our first glasses from eventually <laughs> fell into a sinkhole in Orlando, Florida? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's in, in, given enough time, that will happen to everything in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> it's just... It's just limestone pockets underneath. There's no actual land. Yeah, the weird thing about it was that having your optometrist's office fall into a sinkhole and disappear wasn't even that unusual in our childhood. Yeah, I think actually the weirdest part of that was that also a, a Porsche dealership fell into the same sinkhole at the same time. Yes, and, yes. But it, and it turned out there was a bunch of cocaine in, in some of the Porsches, and they found it when they were pulling them out. So it was like a big story. <laughs> God, I love Orlando so much. <laughs> oh. Cocaine. <laughs> just just a, like a sinkhole full of cocaine. It's like the most Orlando story of all time. Porsche full of cocaine falls into sinkhole might be like peak Orlando. <laughs> and then it's just in there with a bunch of children's glasses. <laughs> for extra creep. <laughs> All right, let's answer some questions from our listeners. This first question comes from Allie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I got this adult coloring book I've been using for about a year and a half now, and almost all the pages have been colored in. What should I do once I finish it? Like, it feels wrong to just toss it out when I've spent so much time coloring all the different pages. But if I just put it on my bookshelf, it'll only take up space, and I'll probably never look at it again. So what do I do with a completed coloring book? Not a cat. Alley. Oh. Oh, Alley Cat. I got it. My first, like, the first thing I thought of when you said adult coloring book is not, I think, what you are coloring. That is correct. Yeah. I think 
Well, who knows? That's not for us to judge. <laughs> the point is, what do you do with it? And the answer is you have a ritual burning. Probably a ritual burning. Um, yeah, you invite all your friends over and you talk about the year and a half that coloring this book was helpful to you and now it is over. And then you have a ritual mm-hmm. burning of the coloring book and it's very cleansing. I am a huge believer in letting go, Hank, letting go of things, mm-hmm. said the person who owns 3,400 books. <laughs> Don't burn the books, John. I do puzzles a lot, and I, I really love doing puzzles. And uh, and I always have this this feeling after I finish the puzzle that like the I can't just pull it apart. Like the, You put the last piece in, and it's like, done, and then you just tear it apart and put it back in the box. I can't do it. It has to sit there yeah. for two days to two weeks before I finally dismantle the puzzle, which I will, of course, inevitably do. Like, I'm not going to keep the puzzle put together forever. I remember when we were kids, our parents had this Muppets puzzle that they had somehow, like, glued all the pieces together to celebrate having finished it. And it was, like, a huge part of our childhood, looking at this Muppets poster all the time. And I have all these childhood memories of looking at that uh, Muppets puzzle, not least because a couple pieces fell out over the years. Like, a couple pieces weren't glued in that well. So it was never, like, a com- quite a completed Muppets well, then, puzzle that was hanging on the wall. As, as time went on, because it was so humid... In Orlando, Florida, more and more pieces kept falling off until it was right. like really sort of a disturbing looking thing that was on the wall. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the one of the like really good things about growing up in Florida is that you're constantly made aware that nature will take yes. back everything you have taken from it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that puzzle I imagine now is is contained entirely within an ecosystem. It is just every individual yeah. piece has been turned into a blade of grass or or moss or mold or something. Yeah, I just think it's so important in life to find ways to let go of stuff, like even stuff that we've worked hard on. Sometimes you just have to let it go. Like nothing lasts forever. And <laughs> if you can't get that through your skull, you're sort of hosed. <laughs> Well, and also, like, I think that when I put together a puzzle, like, my ultimate goal of doing the puzzle isn't to have a completed puzzle. It's to do the puzzle. So, like, the puzzle has served its purpose the moment it is complete. The the thing that I'm hanging on to is, like, the idea that that isn't the goal of the puzzle, that there is some other eventual goal of the puzzle – and that maybe is something that like has its hooks in my brain, but it's not a real thing. The goal yeah. of the puzzle is to do it. And the moment it's done, it has served its purpose and that purpose has ended and I need to take it apart and put it back in the box. Allie, I'm going to recommend that you put it on your bookshelf now that I've thought about it more. I mean, you might want to look at it later. <laughs> no, let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Fire! It served its purpose. You did You did a thing. It was beautiful and good, and it's over. This next question comes from Emily, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I work as a ticket seller for my school district. I get to sit around for about three to nine hours at a time dealing with angry parents trying to get into sporting events. Well, it seems like you like your job, Emily. It seems great. In our district, senior citizens are free. How do you ask someone if they're old enough to qualify for the senior discount? The last time I asked, are you 65 or older, I almost got whacked with a cane. <laughs> Thanks for the advice, Emily. <laughs> I mean, you, don't don't ever ask that question. Um, oh, I don't agree, Hank. I think you should, Emily. If you asked me if I was sixty-five or over, you have a sign I, that says it 
and then then it's up to them to bring it up. You don't ask. Yeah, I agree. You don't ask if like you don't ask unless they're suspiciously young and they're claiming to be over sixty five. <laughs> then maybe right. you're like, I'm sorry, but the over 65 discount only applies to people over 65 and they'll be like oh I I am over 65 but I'm so flattered that you didn't think I was and you'll be like I can't believe that we're having this fight because you're trying to save three bucks on a high school basketball game you 47 year old man (laughs) he's got a fake ID saying he's super old so he can get a buck off of movie tickets I want to get a fake ID that says I'm 65. I just have it be like somebody else. Like maybe take an old driver's license from dad. I look yeah. plausibly like dad sure, and just yeah. be like, no, yeah. Just turned 65, the big 6'5". It's been, whew. I mean, it just goes by so fast, especially 40 to 65. <laughs> if you could plausibly fake it, you got a career just in it being like, look at me. I'm 65 years old. I've been using this product. It's my special ground-up coloring book paste that mm-hmm. uh, that I've been has been delivered to me by Allie. It's just coloring book ground up with with just various colloids, uh, milky substances that I then rub on on my face. It's extremely expensive. And look at but look at me though. Look at me. I look like yeah. forty years old. I don't look a day over forty two. To answer your question, <laughs> Emily, I think you put up a sign. And I don't think you ask anybody. And if people try to sneak into the basketball game pretending that they're over 65 when they're not, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of that in eternity. Right. Yes. And I do not feel like it is uh, either your um, responsibility or something that you care about uh, if somebody is attempting to break into the basketball game without, without payment. So... Don't yeah, worry about Emily, that. Emily, honestly, whatever gets you through the day, because it doesn't seem like you love this job. And I, 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 I don't think like maximizing revenue is that important. I think you should just do what makes the day manageable. Mm-hmm. This next question comes from Josh, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I recently started my, my journal. My format uh, starts off with a list of the day's activities, yep. followed by my favorite moment of that day. That's nice. That leaves like a third of the page empty. What should I put... In the rest of the page, pumpkins and penguins, Josh. Out of burn it. Tear it up. Rip it to pieces. <laughs> Josh, have you considered burning your journal? No. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I would put in there. I mm-hmm. would put in a list of like ongoing resentments, like, uh, like <laughs> just, Arya Stark's Arya. kill list. Yeah. Yeah, just so I don't forget about it. I don't want to forget right. about the people who have wronged me. Or the other thing I might put on there is like a list of all the things I worried about before going to sleep, like mm. a catalog of this is bad the, the hundred or two hundred things that uh, rifle through my head during the hour that I'm trying to fall asleep, the people I may have wronged, the activities I haven't finished, the responsibilities I've shirked, etc. Josh, for an actual piece of advice, here's what I, I, if I had the kind of dedication to this that you seem to have, I would draw a little picture in that bottom third. And I'd try to maybe draw like the same picture every day for a week and see if I do it differently. Or uh, maybe I'll give you a prompt. It's a, it's, Santa Claus dinosaur. So you're going to draw Santa Claus mm. dinosaur every day for a week and see all the different ways that that prompt takes you. And then the week after that, I want you to do um, like a rabbit smoking a pipe 
and I want to see that. And it's like, show me a different rabbit smoking pipes. And, uh, and and maybe you can, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to be good. It's not about being good. Just like your journal isn't about like writing beautiful prose. It's just like, hey, I'm going to throw this at future me who's going to read through these things maybe someday and be like, what was I doing in January 2019? Oh, yeah, there's that that really super stoned rabbit I drew. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it was that kind of pipe. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, on day seven, you got to mix it up. All right. Well, I yeah, I've actually been reading a diary recently, Don Powell's diary. She's this great writer. Uh, and hmm. uh, it is really interesting to read someone's diary. It feels incredibly invasive, even though Don Powell has been dead for quite a while and at the end of her life said that she wanted her diaries to be published. It still feels like, wow, I can't believe that I am allowed to read these things about a stranger. Uh, so try to include that kind of that kind of the juicy stuff. That's my advice. <laughs> the last third of the page is just what the juiciest stuff of the day. Right. Yeah. Just like at the bottom third, be like, I think this is what the, you know, people of 70 years from now will want to read about my day. I definitely think that you should assume that no one's going to read your diary because otherwise that's too much pressure. <laughs> All right, Hank, this next question comes from Kay, who writes, Dear John and Hank, a few weeks ago, I matched with someone on a dating app, and after chatting for a bit, we decided to go on a date. But shortly thereafter, I got sick, and when I told him, he told me to get back to him if I wanted to go out once I felt better. Well, it's been several weeks, and it turns out I have mono, which is why I felt so (laughs) terrible this whole time. And I'll be better soon and no longer contagious, and I want to let him know so he doesn't forget about me, but I'm worried that the connotations of the disease will leave a bad impression. Oh, okay, because it's the kissing disease. Okay, I, I am not familiar with these connotations of mono. I have always understood it to be just a really bad viral illness that sometimes attacks your spleen, but apparently it has sexually transmitted vibes. Yeah, I, I will. I will say that I I got mono in high school completely without any fun way of contracting it. I contracted it in the the normal someone spat into the air and it landed on my tongue way. Yeah, like you can get the common cold from making out, but you can also get it from, you know, putting your hand on a gas pump, or at least that's where I assume I got it from. (laughs) I assume now that I get every disease from my child coughing directly into my nose. Oh, God. I mean, is there a better way to ensure that every... Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I was was at the doctor recently, and and the doctor was like, has your kid been sick? And I'm like, he's two. That's all he is. He's sick yeah. the whole, and she's like, "Yeah, never mind. I'm sorry I asked that question. Obviously, he's been sick." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, uh, both our kids are home from school today, and I just, I feel bad for them, but I have to confess that I also feel so bad for me. <laughs> have you told them that? Like, I'm so sorry you're sick, but also little sympathy for me. Why? Why will no one think of dear old dad? <laughs> I don't feel great, and yet I have to take care of you and do this podcast with my brother. (laughs) Sorry, back to Kay's question. 
Should I tell him that I have mono or should I keep it vague and risk him not believing me? Should I just pack my bags and move away? Kay, just tell him you have mono. If this guy freaks out about you having mono, he's the worst. (laughs) Also, if you're like, I'm getting better, but I'm not going to tell you what was wrong with me. That's that's weirder. Now I'm nervous. Like, I'm worried for you. I'm worried for your family. I don't. Yeah. I, I want to know the specifics. No, you just say, listen, I had mono. I'm feeling better. The doctor says I'm no longer contagious. And then you tell him exactly in grave detail exactly how you got the disease. You're like, I licked a gas station pump. It was a mistake <laughs> I made. <laughs> no, like- or tell him that you got the disease from kissing someone. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Good God. Look, I'm on Tinder. I kiss people sometimes. Exactly. Like, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise. Oh, man. Kay, I'm sorry about 2019 dating. It seems very stressful and difficult. But I think, by the way, Kay had a great name-specific sign-off, which was every contagious kiss begins with comma Kay. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Oh, I, I had mono, my mono in high school experience. Do you want to hear how the how this experience started for me, John? Yeah, sure. I woke up and I didn't mm-hmm. wasn't feeling great, and I went into my bathroom, where I discovered that there was vomit in the sink and pee in the bathtub, and I was like, mm. "How did this happen?" This yeah. is very weird and upsetting. And then I, I realized that I like no one else was in the house and I had fever dreamed up into the bathroom and puked in the sink and peed in the bathtub. So I went back to wow. bed. Wow. I was that sick. <clears throat> it's no I had fun. Whooping, Mono's a bum. I had whooping cough in college, oh. which I also don't recommend. No. And... The main symptom of it, I guess this is the Hank and John illness special, which Mm. I'm excited about. But the main (laughs) symptom of it was that I would start coughing and then in between the coughs, I would make this whooping sound like, (laughs) and then I would barf. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds really bad. Like I'd just start coughing and I'd be like, oh man, this only ends one way with the whooping sound for like four (laughs) whoops and then barfing. Vaccinate your kids. This next question comes from Justin, who asks, Dear Hank and John, the department I work in at my company is large enough that I don't know everyone in my department. Sometimes when someone's going through a tough time, such as the loss of a family member, the administrative assistant will get a sympathy card and make it available for people to sign. I make sure to sign it if the person in need of sympathy is someone I know, but what should I do if it's someone I don't know? Should I still sign the card? If so, what should I write in it? This, Justin. It's good, Justin. That's, That's good. good. You That's should good. sign the card and write nothing. Sign the card and write nothing. Possibly say, uh, sorry for your loss, this, Justin. <laughs> don't, do not use the name-specific sign-off in a sympathy card, Justin. It's a good name-specific <laughs> sign-off, but like any name-specific sign-off, there's a time and a place, mm. and it's not just after somebody's cat died. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, just sign your name. Probably just sign your name. Yeah. The reason you just sign your name is that what people really want to feel, at least in my experience, in that moment, is they want to feel a broad network of support. They want to feel the thoughts and prayers and love of lots of people, including strangers. And just seeing a lot of names in a lot of different pen colors is helpful, at Mm. least in my experience. So 
even if you don't know the person, I still think it's worthwhile to sign the card. I trust your opinions on these things so much more than I trust my own. So I'm glad to have you there to tell me these things. Well, I am a failed hospital chaplain, Hank, so I'm something of an expert. Uh, This next question comes from Catherine, who writes, A lot of the times when I walk with my friends, my shoelaces come undone, Uh and then a stranger will tell me that my shoelaces are undone, and I find this extremely frustrating because the shoe is on my foot, and I can feel my own shoe slowly becoming loose. I'm not an idiot. Bad at tying my shoes, Catherine. (laughs) There's there's no question, but I I thought it was interesting. (laughs) I edited the question. It went on for a while. The, okay. It's it's just a situation that I'm so familiar with and I don't Me I don't too. know what to do. So so Me I too. have a here's how I've solved this problem. I no longer have shoe tying ability. I have a I don't know what it's called, a toggle that slides out and then it tightens that way and then you let go of a button and it it holds itself in a place. Right. That is, I, think I, I think I know what you mean, but you have done a poor job of describing it. the worst it. possible way. I'm sure it's called something. <laughs> uh, so I have one of those that tightens yeah. my shoes. Uh, but, yeah. but before I had that, one, I, I feel like there's something wrong with the way that I tie shoes because they come untied all the time. Or there's something wrong with people, how people do shoelaces or something. And two, yeah. why are you telling me? Do you think I'm going to die? Do you think I'm going to, yes. like, because my shoe is untied? Like, I... Like yes, my shoe will fall off and I will sta- step yes. on attack and get tetanus and lo- lockjaw and just never be able to drink again. What? No, I don't think it's that specific concern. I think the concern is that you're going to trip on your shoes and you're going to fall and break your hip and then never quite fully recover. I think it, that's the fear that strangers are feeling when they tell you that your shoes are untied. How I think that fear is about them, not about shoelaces? you. I've been on both sides of this problem. Like I've both been Catherine and I've been the person who says to Catherine, I can't believe you're getting on an escalator with with your shoes untied, for instance. (laughs) I I think it comes from a good place, but it does put the person with untied shoes in an incredibly uncomfortable position because in all likelihood, they were already aware of their untied shoe situation and they're just not in a place right now where they can easily tie their shoes, but they will be soon. And they've got a plan and they don't need you interrupting the plan with your comments on it. Yeah. However, none of this is necessary because as we've actually discussed previously on the pod, there is a way to tie your shoes that does not involve double knotting, but does prevent them from ever becoming untied un- until and unless you want them to be untied. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash John to see a link to a video on this topic. This next question comes from Susanna, who asks, Dear Hubunkin Jubin, the startup I worked for had to lay people off today. Well, this take a, took a, a direction from funny names to job loss. I'm sorry. It was not entirely unexpected as the, we were warned that we were having some issues. Um, but we were not warned of the scope or decision-making process that went into who and how many would be let go. Fortunately, I've still got a job. But a few of the coworkers that I've worked really closely with and become, you know, genuinely good friends with were laid off and I'm still feeling wholly wrecked. How do I deal with this survivor's guilt? What do I say to my now ex-coworkers? Do I say anything? How do I return to work like normal and get anything done? Your dubious advice is greatly appreciated. Oh, Susanna. Yeah, this is really hard because we're told 
by the social order, A, that so much of our own self-worth is wrapped up in what we do for a job, and B, that work is like a family. And here at Startup X, we're not like a regular company. We're a family. And that's why you work here 16 hours a day, six days a week, because it's a family and we're all in this together. And then there inevitably comes a day when you find out it's not a family. It's a company. Yeah, and should be should be treated like that. Um, that isn't to say that like the people, your coworkers aren't can't, can't and shouldn't be important parts of your lives, important friends. But I think that if that is the case, then like that relationship should extend outside of the boundaries of work and also outside of the time when you work together in the same place. And it's completely normal to maintain friendships with people that you met at work after that like that particular relationship is over and probably those people would really appreciate feeling like they aren't going to be like left out of like a social system that they were also depending on because they're being left left out of this economic system that they were depending on and would love it if you would reach out and continue to be friends with them and and continue to ha- like do social good things with them or start doing more social things with them now that you know you're not going to have this other relationship and, and you want to maintain something and and keep that relationship alive. As for how to deal with the survivor's guilt of the whole situation and and not knowing, you know, the like how these decisions got made, that's a real bummer and isn't it is prob- is kind of indicative of like, you know, probably a crisis that the company is going through right now. It's terrible and and really the only thing you could do is say like the, this is the vagaries of the universe and I'm going to like attempt to continue doing the work that I find valuable and that is hopefully at, hopefully adding value to the world and uh, and not try to analyze exactly how all these decisions got made. Yeah. I mean, on a deep level, it's not about you. Uh, although that's not something that humans are particularly good at comprehending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that that's that's terrible, and it's something that's happened to some of my friends recently too. Um, uh, all of which reminds me that today's podcast is brought to you by Complexly. Complexly, uh, <laughs> support our YouTube channels. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of our employees listen to this podcast, John. We're doing fine. We're not in trouble. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> There's two there's two schools of thought in the world of business. The Hank Green School, we're not in trouble, and the John Green School, we're not in trouble yet. Well, if you do want to support us on Patreon, that money does go to support SciShow and Crash Course and the other educational things that we do online. This podcast is also brought to you by John Green's crushed coloring book Face Paste. It'll make you look 25 years younger. You'll won't look a day over 40. Today's podcast is also brought to you by a sinkhole full of Porsches full of cocaine. (laughs) A sinkhole full of Porsches full of cocaine. Come for the sinkhole. Stay for the Porsches full of cocaine. (laughs) God bless it. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by a rabbit smoking a pipe. A rabbit smoking a pipe. Uh, Just... 
This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order, plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. you to draw them every day for the rest of your life to see to see what happens. All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes from Mabel, who writes, Dear John and Hank, is it appropriate to gift secondhand books? I have some books that I've read and loved, but will probably never read again. And my friend's birthday is coming up. So instead of buying a second copy of the book, could I just give the one I already have? Or is that weird and unacceptable? Many thanks, Mabel. 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 (laughs) Mabel. I have had friends do this a bunch. And the thing that I really appreciate, uh, I have one friend who does this particularly, um, almost always gives a secondhand book on a birthday or anniversary or something. And uh, and she will write on the inside of the cover a little information about why she thinks I like the book and then sign it. And then I'll be like, whenever I look at that book, I'm like, oh yeah, she sent me this book and uh, and this is what she thought about it. And it g- gave me a little something to go on. And it's almost like sort of half card half like present which i really like yeah don't tell my publisher that i said this because of course (laughs) with my business person hat on i believe that you should only buy my books in hardcover and that you should buy a new copy for each time you want to read one (laughs) but in some ways i think seven times and i've purchased it seven times Perfect. Wonderful. (laughs) I think secondhand books are almost a better present than new books because you feel the the love in them, you know, and also because it's a very particular – it's a particular copy. It's not just any copy Mm -hmm, of a book. mm -hmm. It's this person you know's copy of that book. And I don't know. I've always thought it was really cool and it's something that I do and I I love it when people give me books that that they've read and enjoyed and – thought that I would enjoy. And I also love those little notes that people write, Hank. Although I will say, if you write one of those notes, it becomes very hard to make it a third-hand gift. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you can take it to the uh, the book exchange place, 
that if you have one of those, they'll probably take it. All right, Hank, we got another question. This one comes from Cassie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, inspired by John, I've decided to delete all my social media apps and only check certain websites once a week on my laptop. So far, instead of having a positive impact on my mental health, I just lay in bed for hours staring out the window in replace of staring at a screen, feeling almost worse because my thought spirals have no distraction. What Mm. healthier habits can I create to replace my phone at least while I'm adjusting? My thoughts are stars I can't fathom into constellations, but at least I'm Cassiopeia. That's very good, Cassiopeia. You got it. You got there. I read, read, but watch. Yeah. M- b- I probably would just watch Northern Exposure over just the whole thing from the beginning. <laughs> if I had some extra time, it's really what sort of what I've been hankering for lately. What a weird show to pick as like the show that you would devote yourself to. Like <laughs> Northern Exposure was a fine television program, but like it's not like The Sopranos or something. It's not a classic. It is absolutely a classic. Okay. Okay. It's like The Sopranos with no murder. <laughs> Everybody's so okay. nothing like The Sopranos. Everybody's fine. They're all nice people. <laughs> It is a show about nice people who are nice to each other and have funny, sweet things happen. It is the definition of harmless is how I would define (laughs) Northern Exposure. Perhaps the most harmless television program ever made. I I hope so. I hope I don't go watch it again and be like, oh, this is deeply problematic. You never know. But Cassie, I know what you mean here, which is that... One of the things that we use social media for is distraction, distracting us from boredom, from dullness, and also from like sort of way down deep pains that we need on some level to distract ourselves from. I do think that it takes a while to find anything as compelling as, you know, constantly updating feeds are. That's why Mm -hmm. they've become such a huge part of our lives. But... I do think it's worth the effort, at least in my experience. So, yeah, you can't just stare out the window. Um, That's going to make you feel really, really sad. I would encourage you to either go out there to the stuff that's that's on the other side of the window and explore that uh, physical space. It's like VR, but it's so (laughs) real. Like you feel everything. Mm -hmm. And even the smallest touches of like rain or wind on your hand feel like actual wind or rain. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I would say is, yeah, watch stuff, read stuff, call a friend, try to find ways to engage with the world because that's what you're replacing. And if Mm -hmm. you try to replace that only with staring out the window, it's never going to work. That's a great point. John, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, which is differently from last week, bad and good in a different way. Oh, God, I'm so happy. Oh, my God. Sorry, what are we talking about? We flipped We flipped places. We flipped places. But, but I did want to talk to some of the responses to things. So Emily yeah. has a response. I was listening yeah. to the new episode of the pod today, and you kept bringing up crashing that prom. And I wanted to tell you that because of you crashing our prom in 2015, we got in trouble for being too rowdy, which is wild, because why would they make it a Gatsby-themed party if they didn't want us to be rowdy? <laughs> Emily, I am sorry that you got in trouble as a result of me (laughs) crashing your prom. I will say that y'all were a little bit rowdy. Like, (laughs) I thought that I could just calmly crash a prom with my best friend and our spouses like a normal 
39-year-old crashing a prom, and I felt that you guys were a little rowdier than was absolutely necessary. (laughs) So I don't want to put it on you, Emily, but maybe next time think twice about how you react to some guy crashing your prom. Also, we got a lot of emails that were like this one from Miriam. Dear John and Hank, in a recent episode, you talk quite a bit about peeps. So here is my question. What are peeps? Is it an American <laughs> thing? Please enlighten me. Miriam, P.S. What is Arbor Day or is it Harbor Day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a day where we all go to the harbor and we just sort of look out over the harbor and we think that's nice. Well, it's not that much crazier than what Arbor Day actually is, which is a day when we all look at trees and think that's nice. Arbor Day, it's the day in America where we're like, trees are good. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically the day in American life. I never thought about how weird that is. (laughs) When we're like, oh, God, sorry, trees, about everything we've done to you over the last 500 years. And the trees are like, yeah, no, it's good. We're fine. Peeps... Are, are the opposite of trees, I think is the <laughs> narrowest way to define them. Yeah. A I peep mean, is a marshmallow that's covered in sugar. Now, I know what yeah. you're saying, Miriam, isn't a marshmallow <laughs> just made of sugar? Yes. Yep. That's I can't, the end I, of the story. I can't explain it anymore. Also, they're in the shape of small chickens. Uh, or Ish. other things, depending Ish. on... Yeah. The holiday, which brings me to this email from Haley, who wrote, Dear John and Hank, my name is Haley, and I worked with Peeps and designed their seasonal changeovers between 2016 and 2018. That's amazing. There are no Arbor Day Peeps yet, but there are Peeps for Valentine's Day, Easter, Summer, Halloween, and Christmas. Also, per Hank's odd phone caller ID Quakertown Veterinary Clinic, that was another one of our clients, and I'm wondering if someone swapped the meta text by accident. Weird. Now, look. That is very weird. That is very weird. And you say here that that's probably neither interesting or helpful to you. It isn't helpful, but it's very interesting that when I called Peeps on the phone, I got another one of your clients (laughs) that is not in any way related to Peeps. It is very interesting. But anyway, if you ever have a veterinary need in Quakertown, please call Quakertown Veterinary Clinic. Absolutely. And if you're ever looking for some sugar-coated and sugar, peeps are the way to go. Hank. Yeah. AFC Wimbledon played West Ham United in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I know. The furthest AFC Wimbledon had ever made it in the FA Cup. West Ham, a team in the Premier League. Premier League. A team perhaps most famous for being the only soccer team mentioned by name in the Harry Potter books. West Ham United... A team so big that even in a world of Quidditch, people care about it. A team that I think is currently like ninth in the Premier League, some 80 spots above us where we are currently (laughs) rooted to the basement of League One, almost certain to be relegated. That West Ham came to Kingsmeadow in the fourth round of the FA Cup, and we won the game 4-2 in what has to be one of the biggest upsets in the history of AFC Wimbledon, moving on to the fifth round of the FA Cup. Unbelievable scenes. I mean, I watched the whole thing on television, ESPN+, and I I, I couldn't believe it. Wimbledon were up 3-0 at one point. 
Yeah. And then I brought my children down. And when you to texted show them me, the game, you texted and, me. You said, "Hank, uh, this is this is like there's still a lot of time in the game left, but I'm very excited." And then I started watching. I'm trying to edit a video, and I get very nervous, very nervous yeah. suddenly, because they went yeah. they went from three zero up to three two, and now I'm yeah. thinking, well, of course this is going to end. I should never have tweeted. Well, about and that's this. usually how it goes in in these FA Cup ties when, yeah. when you know the David faces the Goliath. Is that even when you do score, they end up winning because they've got you know more fitness and they can yeah. bring on incredible players as substitutes, etc. But in this game, what happened is that when 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 it got to three two, and I told my kids they had to leave because I I, I didn't want them to see me like this. Uh, <laughs> Wimbledon started to play with like more confidence instead of less, and then there was a goal, a beautiful in the goal. Minute. It was gorgeous. And it was Toby Civic. He's 19 years old. It was his first goal for AFC Wimbledon. He's a product of the Wimbledon Academy, like Will Nightingale. I mean, it's just, it's an incredible story. And Wimbledon are moving on to the fifth round of the FA Cup for the first time uh, since reforming in 2002. I mean, it, it, this is crazy. We we can't win a game in League One and we, we just beat... West Ham. And now uh, in the fifth round, we're going to be playing Millwall, uh, another relatively famous English club, although not in the Premier League. In fact, they are, I think, in 19th place currently in the championship. So I'm so sure they're looking rights, at this game. If you can game. beat West Ham, you can beat Will- Millwall. I know. And I'm sure Millwall's looking at this game thinking that's an easy win. But I have to say, I'm looking at that game and thinking, I mean, the chances are a lot better than if we were playing Manchester City. Obviously, it'd be great to play Manchester City from a financial perspective, like to, you know, have all of that revenue from all the ticket sales and everything. But I I mean... We have a chance. Who can help but dream? That is the wonderful thing about football and life is that you can't help but dream. I Oh, God, it was so beautiful. I wept. I cried and cried and cried. It's been such a hard year for Wimbledon. And it, it's just so, incredible. Yeah, a, good, a good news in the midst of the darkness. I, I also watched the highlights of the game. And after that 88-minute goal, in the last seven minutes of the game, there were two extremely good chances for West yeah. Ham. Yes. Like that by all rights, both should have been goals and would have been yeah. a tie game in, in the like yeah. during overage time. And I was just like, Oh God, I'm glad I wasn't watching that. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it was a stressful, <laughs> it was a stressful watch. The like weird, amazing was saves like, that kid and goal. He looks like yeah, he's 12. Yeah. He is 12. I mean, yeah, the goalkeeper who's currently playing for Wimbledon is on loan from Bournemouth and I believe he's 17 or 18. So yeah, he is a kid. We've got a very young, we've got a very young group right now. And you know, that's what the manager Wally Down says he wants. He says he wants players who are young and hungry. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, I don't think we're going to be able to stay up obviously, but wow, what a great day for Wimbledon fans everywhere. Um, and I should add really quickly, since we're talking about this, that if you want to be part of this story, if you want to own part of AFC Wimbledon, it's only 25 pounds a year, which is like 30 bucks and dropping. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Brexit joke. Uh, 
it, it has never been so inexpensive for Americans to join the Don's Trust <laughs> as it is today. <laughs> and you can, be, you can be a part owner of AFC Wimbledon and support their story. Uh, just Google the Don's Trust and become an owner of this incredible special club and get to live the dream with them. I, oh, God, it was so amazing. It was so wonderful. I, I, I'm making a video about it, actually, of course, on Vlogbrothers, because I was reminded watching that game of the reason I became a sports fan in the first place. And it's just there is no purer emotion that I've ever experienced. And what I'm really after in life, I think, is like that that purity of experience, the like so many emotions are complicated and hard to sort through and and experiences are good news and bad news at the same time and then you just occasionally you just need pure great news and like i get that from sports i get it from landing landers on mars i just i'm always looking for that feeling yeah so great news hank what is the news from mars also great no it's not not. ultimately we haven't talked about opportunity in a while um rover been on the surface of mars uh now for over 15 years um and it so basically i'm ready to give up hope uh, oh. NASA on on Friday started to send a new set of commands to the rover with the idea that possibly it has started up, but due to problems with the clock or with some other like re- like internal systems, like wasn't being wasn't like reaching out to NASA, wasn't listening correctly. Nothing mm-hmm. has come back. Um, so mm. so they're sort of like chasing down, like maybe this thing has turned on, um, and it just isn't functioning quite properly but what appears to be the case is that we're now entering into like the we're going to soon be entering into martian winter um for for where opportunity is and then it will get very cold and darker and and if that happens like it's just it's over for this little guy because there's just not enough light and it's going to be way too cold for any of its systems to come back on so it looks like it happened it looks like last june when that dust storm hit um it uh, just was too dark for too long for Opportunity to stay warm enough to start back up after it started getting electricity running through its solar panels again. And Stephen Squires, the principal investigator for the mission, says, to be taken out by one of the most ferocious storms on Mars in decades, that is an honorable death. <laughs> oh, that's really it's, quite beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. It is honor. I mean, it must it must be so difficult for all the people who've worked on that mission for the last 15 plus years it's just yeah but also what a great story of what humans can do when we work together and so uh, yeah like everything's gonna die but what a life it had yeah 15 years way longer than ever thought and uh and lots of lots of great science got done and now we are still on the surface of mars with curiosity and and are gonna go go again in 2020 and uh, it's a fascinating place, and we just keep learning more. Well, Hank, here's to curiosity. Long may it rain, both <laughs> as, you know, like a rover and as a, uh, an emotional state. 
John, thank you for potting with me. It was a pleasure. I had a really good time. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. If you want to email us your questions, please do that. You can do it at hankandjohn at gmail.com so that we'll have stuff to talk about. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be awesome. awesome.